0: Would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from John nine twenty four through 41. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Shelby. Thanks, Shelby. Good morning, everyone. I don't know what it is about when I preach, but I always seem to get the best sicknesses like the week before. So, and Christmas, if you'll remember, I was sick for a week with the flu and was out of work for a week. And then this past week, um, I had the pleasure of having hand, foot, and mouth from my my family. So, up until like a week ago, I thought it was a disease that only cattle get um, when I heard it. But I quickly have learned a few things in the past week, I guess. Um, But, we're here, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited to share the Word of God with you guys today and be with you guys. I really appreciate this opportunity. I mean, I, I love the opportunity to get to do this. It's honestly a joy, and it is a special joy when you have a passage like this. And um, honestly, Lem, thank you for leading us through such a good um, service before that, going through the passage. This is an incredible chapter of the Bible, and as I've dwelt on it the past few weeks— um, it has ministered to me in so many ways that it's now one of my, my favorite chapters in, in the whole thing. And so I encourage you guys this week and also with your community groups when you get together to spend some time in this passage and just letting it speak to you and trying to choose who you are and where you see yourself in this passage. It is it's pretty amazing. Um, it is a, a profound story. Um, and, and the biggest thing that we're going to look at today is I've just been amazed by the stark difference that you had between the Pharisees and this blind beggar man. It was the same miracle that both of them saw and experienced, but they had completely different receptions of seeing what Jesus did and what they were going to do with that and how they were going to be formed from that. Um, you can kind of look at it in terms that we're familiar with as one of them had their heart softened and the group of the Pharisees had their hearts hardened. Now, that's kind of Christianese. It's biblical that God hardens hearts and gives us and commands us to have tender hearts. That's biblical. But I would ask you, if, you were to, if I were to ask you to turn to the person next to you and explain to them right now, what does it mean to have a hard heart? Or what does it mean to have a soft heart? And if you think about that, what would your answer be? It's something that we use all the time, but... Putting words to it can be kind of difficult when we think about it in that way. And so this passage today is a great illustration of what it means to have a hard heart and a heart that becomes harder, as well as to get a flesh, a heart of flesh, and still have that heart of flesh become softer and more open to Jesus as we see in the blind man. And so as we were preparing for this sermon, Jeannie gave me a great quote that just sets everything up uh, from Mulholland. And so I'm going to read this quote and just kind of listen to this quote here, and it'll set up what we're going to talk about today. He says, Everyone is in a process of spiritual formation. And so we're going to look at it today, not so much spiritual formation, but just heart formation, your heart becoming harder or your heart becoming more tender towards the Lord. So everyone is in the process of heart formation. Every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, every reaction we have toward the things that surround us and impinge upon our lives, all these things, little by little, are shaping us into some kind of being. The direction of our spiritual growth infuses all that we do with imitations of either life or death, and that 's what we see here between these two different groups of people as we walk through the story we 'll see how the same act Jesus giving sight to a blind man can lead to worship for one group and then also lead to blasphemy and contempt and ultimately ruin for another group of people so let 's pray as we we dive into god 's word today. Jesus, thank you that um, you 've given us this this story of this true miracle that happened, Lord. Thank you that you give sight to those who are blind, and that we can look at the story and have our our the eyes of our heart open. And so, Father, would you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves this morning? And would you enlighten us? And would you build in us softer hearts today, more tender to what you're doing in our lives as well as in the world? Father, would my words glorify you? Would you take away anything that is not of you, that's um, not in line with with where you're at and and what you say? And would you let the things dwell in the hearts that that they need to hear? And and would you give ears to the hearers today, Lord? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's look together at at John 9. We're going to kind of go through the first part of it a little bit quicker. And so in 1 through 7, you have this huge theological question in John 9, that's asked. And so it's the disciples give him a multiple choice kind of question, a test for Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, this guy's blind. Is, is it the fault of his parents or is it the, his own sin that has made him blind? And as Jesus often does, he says, well, actually, it's not A or B. It's actually C. And so he gives a new answer with that. And, and Jesus goes up to the blind man. He makes mud with some spit and some dirt that's on the ground there, puts it on his eyes, and says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and, and you'll be healed. And he goes and wash, and sure enough, the man receives sight. And so, real quick, I, I want to pause here for a second, because I don't want the miracle of this story to get lost on us. I think it's, it's such common language that Jesus heals people, that Jesus came here and gave sight to the blind. This is, this is huge. A man who was blind since birth... He's of age, so we know that he's an older person, right? All the years that he spent was, was blind. And Jesus comes in and enters the scene and gives this man sight. I mean, that's, that's a miracle and amazing for that man that now has sight. But it's prophecy fulfilled from the Old Testament that he came to give sight to the blind. I mean, there, there is so much within this one miracle that we have that I don't want to get lost that this man, even though he, he now sees these colors now—he never saw color before, or anything else. He never saw his parents' face, or even himself. He sees all of these things, but even more beyond that, Jesus gives him spiritual sight as well. He opens up the eyes of his heart, as Paul says in Ephesians that we studied quite a few months ago. This blind man—he engaged with Jesus on a level. That was way beyond just receiving sight. He engaged with Jesus on a heart level, a head level, a body level, a soul level, everything. He engaged with this experience with Jesus. His heart was given a new heart of flesh, and it was softening as we look at the story. However, when we look at the Pharisees, who likely were around for the healing, or at least had been around for other miracles that Jesus was doing, they did not have the same experience with what Jesus did. They didn't engage at that heart level. Part of that is because their hearts were already hard, and we're going to see that they become more and more hard as the story goes on. They couldn't get past the head level, right? If you can't get past the head level, it's harder to engage in that heart level, and that put them at risk for their hearts becoming harder, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So the story goes on in verses 8 through 12 that we read. The townspeople are now debating. Is this really the guy who is blind? The person that they walked past every single day for years and years in their town? Is this really him that now he's seen? Some people are saying, well, yeah, I think it's him. And no, I don't think it is. And they're asking him what happened. Um, and then in, in verse 13, the Pharisees are getting wind of this, and they want to know what's going on. And so in verse 13, the man is brought, it looks like for a second time, Before the Pharisees. So I'll read this here. So it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees began asking him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud in my eyes and and I washed and now I see. And he doesn't have much of an excuse beyond that or much of a, a thing to share. The Pharisees, though, are going to be asking him the same question over and over because they're trying to make sense in their heads of what is going on here. They're looking for something new to be shared that would make it click for them. The blind man only responds with, hey, Look, he put mud on my eyes, and now I see. And then they ask him again, and he says, He put mud in my eyes, and now I see. He keeps repeating the same thing because there's nothing else to share share other than that it was a miracle. And our hearts are changed with all of this based on how we experience Jesus, how we interact with what Jesus is doing in the world. The blind man, who is now C, his heart was changed because of how he interacted with what Jesus did. And the Pharisees, their hearts are changing because of how they're interacting with what Jesus did. The Pharisees couldn't get beyond intellectually comprehending what had just happened. They engaged their mind, the blind man engaged his heart, and this led to two very, very different experiences. I think that this would kind of help maybe put some light of, of what I'm trying to put, uh, what I'm trying to say here. And so my wife makes a wonderful dessert called the Carmelita, as she has named it. It's part brownie, part cookie, part like oatmeal bar, part fudge bar, toffee is in the middle. Like it's, it's incredible. Um, we had it at our community group uh, a few weeks ago, and I believe a few people described it as (laughs) life-changing. That's right. We got a couple hands going up, and so it was a life-changing dessert with that. And so if I let you choose today, if I had a recipe for the Carmelita, and I had caramelitas over here, and I said, hey, come and choose whichever one that you wanted. If you wanted to experience the Carmelita, you wouldn't go for the recipe so that you could comprehend intellectually what's going on in the dessert. If you wanted to experience it, You'd come up and you would grab the caramelita and you would eat it, right? And that's going to lead to a much different experience of this life-changing dessert than if you just had the recipe. If you had the recipe, you might understand it intellectually. However, it's not going to be life-changing for you. And that's what Jesus does when we interact with him. If we are only trying to understand him on this intellectual level, it's going to be much harder to get to the point of a life-changing interaction with that than if we experience Jesus on a heart level. The Pharisees were only able to engage their minds in this, and therefore they didn't really experience a true miracle that Jesus had performed. So the Pharisees are upset that Jesus made mud, specifically that he did it on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees take this one thing. So you're not—one of the rules that the Pharisees made in terms of uh, keeping the Sabbath was that you were not to, to knead dough, and that also applied to mud. And so when Jesus took the dirt from the ground and put his spit in it, um, then he was kneading it, and so therefore he was breaking the Sabbath law. They were so focused on this that they were missing the big picture within all of this. The Pharisees' theology and their doctrine and the rules that they followed, they they weren't just a speed bump for understanding Jesus and experiencing Jesus. It was a straight wall that they ran straight into and could not overcome to this. And it's this kind of that that hard-pressed rule and doctrine that led Jesus, that's recorded in Matthew, to say, woe to the Pharisees. And so it's a pretty incredible chapter when Jesus is talking about woe to the Pharisees and scribes, just a little part from it. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Is that not what we're we're doing here? We're looking at this one little thing. We're straining out the gnat, and we're missing the camel in front of us, that a miracle was just performed, a man who could never see for years in his life. Now has sight. However, I I just want to slow down and make sure we know make no mistake with this. The Pharisees show us, they show us that anything that is, I'm sorry, (laughs) make no mistake with this. If the Pharisees show us anything, it's that you can know all of the right doctrines, right? You can have the best kind of eschatology, theology. You can know what propitiation means and all these other big words and that sort of thing. But you can still have a hard heart or you can still have parts of your heart that are hard to what God is doing. And all of us have some of that, some level of that in this room. When our interactions with Jesus are purely cerebral up here, we risk... This stuff not getting into our hearts, what, what the New Testament refers to as our cardia, kind of our guts and our heart and just our bones getting in there. And this, when it doesn't get into our cardia, we risk it hardening our heart. We need to engage with Jesus in a way where our hearts engage as well, not just our minds. I'm passionate about this and I share this with you and I see this in this, this story that we read today because that is largely my story for, for many years. I loved reading, and still do, but I, I loved reading the theology books that were the size of a small child and reading through those, but when just the mind engages, it can actually have an opposite effect of what you want it to have where your heart starts the hard and because you're not engaging the heart with what the mind is doing and you're not connecting the two there. Don't get me wrong. Theology is important. It's important to have a right understanding, but if that theology stops in the head and doesn't sink down to the heart and change the way that you live, that causes issues. That's, that's not a good thing for you or for the people around you. One of the most famous Christian quotes that's out there is, um, What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that, that's true, and I agree with it, but in light of this passage— I might just amend it some, and I'm not telling A.W. Tozer how to, how to do his work by any means, but something for you to think about with this is just what comes to your mind and your heart when you think about God. This might be the most important thing about you, because I have a feeling the Pharisees had a lot of good things that came to their mind when they thought about God, right? But maybe their heart didn't quite connect with God the same way that this blind man who now can see connected with God so let's continue on in the story. Verse 16 says that <clears throat> some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So this is, the, the Pharisees are legitimately trying to understand what's going on here. But this is the last time that they're going to have this division and this debate. We're telling a story this whole time of this group of Pharisees that hearts are becoming harder as they go through. I can imagine them just arguing with one another. And meanwhile, the blind man sitting at the end of the table, like popping back peanuts and popcorn, just watching the Pharisees argue, and they get so frustrated. In verse 17, they ask him, well, who do you say he is? And now the man says, well, he's, he's a prophet. Like, obviously, he's doing these things. He's a prophet. <clears throat> So next they think, well, maybe the man was never blind, and so they're they looking for that reasonable explanation. And I can tell you, and maybe I can tell the Pharisees too, that as a middle school principal, sometimes there's just not a reasonable explanation for things that happen. And so, it's been many a time sitting in my office across from kids that I just learned to stop asking why or how, because most of the time it's met with silence. And so, but they're looking for that reasonable explanation. So they get his parents, and they think, okay, either this isn't their their son, because he's been traded out, or it's someone who looks like him, or he was never blind to begin with, and this has been one big sham. And so they question his parents um, in the next part, in verses 18 through 23. And his parents confirm that's their son, and yeah, he, he was born blind, and now he sees. But now his parents are afraid to say much beyond that, and point the Pharisees right back to him. So in verse 22 John tells us why his parents are afraid to say anything like that. It says, His parents <clears throat> said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age. Go, go ask him. They don't want to lose their, their membership rights to the synagogue where they go to worship and where so much of their life is built around. And so we get rid of the division, and now we're looking at the Pharisees who say, Okay, this has, this can't be. We got to find a, a way to explain this away. And the problem is here with the Pharisees so focused on this Sabbath law and what Jesus did on it, is that they're, they're looking for a way of this external conformity, not this internal transformation. They're looking for a way of seeing, okay, we, we have to do the right things, and he's not doing the right things, so he can't be of God. They have this obsession with the outward appearance. And that's leading to a hardened heart. When we think about things that lead to a hardened heart, obsession with how you are appearing outside is going to lead to that hardened heart. They were more concerned with these man-made laws than the fact that a man who was blind now sees. we see this all over even today in Christianity. This is not something that has gone away, right? We tell our Everybody don't, don't cuss, don't chew, don't vape now, don't, um, don't have sex, don't do all this kind of stuff, and make sure that you go to church on Sundays. And that's what it's going to be, this outward appearance of what Christianity is. And when we reduce Christianity to rules and not a heart engagement and a, an experience of Jesus, we risk hardening our hearts further like we see in the Pharisees here. We substitute this experience that does lead to holy living and and leads to some of those things with a hard heart because of our intellectual rigidity and our rules that we're putting around it. So now we get to the favorite part of my whole story, of the whole story here. Um, I'll read verses 24 through 27 if you're following along. So after questioning his parents, they get the blind man yet again. This is either the third or fourth time that he's been questioned now. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love that. Like, that's the most funny, like, smart owl kind of response that you could have there. Like, you guys are asking so much. It's like, it's like that old little, like, middle school thing. Like, oh, why are you asking so much? Do you like her? And kind of thing like that, right? And so I, I, I love this, this man and his response to the Pharisees here. But even within that, that humor, look at what has happened to this man and his heart formation as we talk about it. Back in verse 11, When they asked who who healed you, he referred to Jesus as a man. And then in verse 17, he was a prophet when the Pharisees asked. And now he's saying, do you also want to become a disciple? He's now a disciple of Jesus. His heart is softening. His heart is breaking down. He is forming his life to his Savior, this person who has come from God. And so even past that too, let's, let's not get away from the fact that this is a blind beggar. who's who's poor, and he's telling the religious leaders of the day, sitting around a table with them, he is schooling them and giving them instruction. I love that so much. As his heart became more tender, he became more courageous for Christ. He became actually stronger as his heart became more tender. And then after they rebuke him, we look at verses 30 through 34 here. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You, don't, you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Their hard-heartedness was now leading to contempt for others and pushing others out that didn't, didn't conform to everything that they thought that was supposed to be going on. They said, no, just just get out. If you don't agree with us, then you're, you're gone. And then the last part of the story is this beautiful lost and found moment. It's beautiful, and it's also scary by the time you get to the end, and, and we'll see that in a moment here. What's amazing is that after this man is cast out by the religious leaders of the day, Jesus goes and finds him. Jesus doesn't wait for the man to find him or to eventually catch up to him. Jesus goes to him, just like he does. And it's no coincidence that chapter 10 of of the Gospel of John is all about Jesus being the good shepherd, right? I don't think that that's a coincidence when it's put right behind this here. And so let's look at verses 35 through 38 as you follow along. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him right then and there. You see this beautiful formation of this man's heart go from being a blind beggar, an unbelieving beggar, as far as we can tell, to being a worshiper of Jesus because of how he interacted with Jesus in that way. And then we get to verse 39 where where Jesus proclaims what he came here to do was to bring justice. And in verse 40, the Pharisees ask this rhetorical kind of question that some of the Pharisees near him heard Jesus say that he was going to bring blindness to the scene and sight to the the blind. So they heard him say these things and said to him, are we also blind? Another way of thinking of this is the Pharisees asking Jesus, of all the people in Israel— you're telling us that we are the people who are blind. Are you serious? Is what they're saying to Jesus. And then Jesus gives his answer. And I, I picture Jesus doing this in a way that's just, it's, it's this hauntingly tender, but serious and firm, eerily firm kind of way. Another version, I'll read from a, another version and puts it a little bit more clearly. His response to the Pharisees Rhetorically asking if they're blind, Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you're guilty because you claim you see. You see, the this, this story begins with blindness and it ends with blindness. The, the beginning blindness is that, that human kind of physical blindness, but the end is a much scarier kind of blindness, which is that spiritual blindness to what God is doing and spiritual blindness to being able to interact and and see and experience Jesus. And so as we we close up here, just a few questions for us, Redeemer Church, for you to think through. Three questions that I want to pose to us. First is, what part of your heart needs softening or needs to become more tender? So it's not a thing of that, oh, I either have a soft heart or I have a hard heart and I'm unbelieving. We all, if you're a believer in this room, you have a regenerate heart. But there are parts of your heart that need soften, that need to experience Jesus in other ways. All of us have parts of our hearts that need this softening. So what parts of your heart need to become more tender? Some questions to think through as you, you think through this. So who do, you, who, do you find it, who do you find difficult to love? Why is that? Or you could ask, where am I struggling in my life to follow Christ? What are these sins that are, are holding me back? Or where is Jesus calling me to that I'm kind of shutting the door on? Or why am I so quick to get impatient? Or that sort of, or whatever else it is to you. You might be getting things in your mind right now. You've got to ask, what is going on in my heart? Where do I need to become more tender? Because the thing is, is, it's not so much a head issue. You can't, it's not so much wrapping your head around why this stuff is going on. It's trying to figure out what's going on in your heart and figuring that out. It's, it's often a heart issue with this. The next question is, how do you experience Jesus? What's, what's your experience with him? And that, that's a weird question, but I, what kind of connotation do you have when I say, what's it like for you to follow Jesus? Is it a positive connotation? Is it a negative connotation? Is it mixed, depending on who you're with or what kind of how your day is going It's true that Jesus said that in order to be his disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow him. Absolutely. But we have changed this this biblical theme of having to die to ourselves to follow God, and we put it into kind of a a death sentence. Like we are now the people to be pitied because we have to die to ourselves in this. There's this kind of mantra passing these Christian circles that— Christians, we can't, we can't enjoy the good things in life because we're just, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back or for waiting to die so that I can go be with my Savior on this. Um, we get into this, this self-denial, and like the Pharisees, this has a risk of hardening our heart and not being able to experience the life that Jesus offers now, which is life in the fullest— When it comes to counting the cost, we often think about that. And that has, for a lot of people, a very kind of negative way. Like, all right, I got to think about all the things I got to give up to follow Jesus. But counting the cost also includes counting the gain that you get with following Jesus. And so if you saw a field that had a bunch of gold rocks all over the place, and you had to sell everything that you had in order to purchase this one field for all the treasure that was inside of it? Does this story or, parab- or, parallel or parable sound familiar to you? Would you want people to pity you because you had to sell all of this and because you just got a treasure that's beyond measure with this? We also have to count the gains that come with this. Knowing your creator and being known by your creator, having this spiritual sight, experiencing the giver of life, is something that is worth the parts that we have to sacrifice. There is so much more gain than there is in the loss of following Jesus. There is so much more gain in our lives for that salvation, just like we talked about all through Ephesians, if I can remind you of that. There is gain to be experienced here and now with following Jesus. Our treasure is not a future treasure that we hope for one day. Our treasure is here and now that we can experience Jesus, just like this blind man had his heart softened to experience Jesus. So I ask, how, how do you experience Christ, and are you experiencing that treasure in the here and now? Jesus wants you to encounter him. And I, I, I want to quickly mention, I know that there are valleys and wildernesses that God walks you through. There might be some people in this room, I'm sure, going through some of those. that. That's something different than I'm talking about. I'm talking about the overall part of your following Jesus. What is it? What's the connotation for you with, with that? And if this is where you're at, where it's not, it's not something that is a joyful delight, and it's not a treasure that you find following Jesus, I encourage you, talk to someone. Open up to your community group about what's going on. Allow them to minister to you and help you. Last question, quickly here as we wrap up, is do you see your need of Jesus. So I went through this story and really tried to let it kind of grow into my heart and I dwelled on it. I was the biggest thing I was coming to. You have this formation of the Pharisees having hardened heart. You have this formation of the blind man having a softened heart. What was the difference between the two of them? Like the ultimate difference to be able to see these two diff- way different experiences of Jesus. And when it came down to it, I really think that the blind man knew He had a need, and he was humble and wanted that, whereas the Pharisees didn't have a need for God. They were doing fine just on their own, right? They were performing just fine, quite well, actually. They knew the right things, the right doctrines, the right things to say and do when they were around certain people. They were giving the right amount to what God was doing. They didn't have this need. They didn't need God because they didn't need anything from God. Whereas the blind man knew very well from God's creation that was planned all the way back before creation, as Jesus talks about in the beginning of the story, that this was to show God's glory of why this man was born blind. And so from all the way back there, he was given this need so that God could be glorified, and he knew that need. Lent is this beautiful time for us to look into our hearts and figure out and ask the Lord to reveal what parts of our hearts need to be softened so that we can better experience and better walk with our Savior to experience that treasure in the here and now. We need to reorient, just as Joss talked about last week, we need to reorient our lives constantly, especially during this Lent season of that little rowboat in the middle of the ocean reorienting it back to where Christ is. And by doing so, our hearts are softened and reformed more into the image of Christ and have that sweet relationship with him. Let's pray as we close up here. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this incredible story in your word. Father, I pray that these words would continue to minister to us and speak to us as we go out through our weeks. I pray that you would bless the community group conversation that will take place at looking at this story of how you form hearts and how hearts can be drawn to you and then soften there as well as can be hardened if we don't have that experience with you in that way, Lord, if there's things getting in the way of that. And so, Father, I pray for the people in this room, myself included, that you would reveal to us where our hearts need to be softened, where they need to be more tender, and how we can better love those around us and, and experience the treasure it is to follow you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.